down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. My name is Adam Camilleri. I'm recording from the Mini Wargaming Bunker in the lovely officer's quarters. Uh, hanging out here because I knew I had to do some recording. Didn't want to get stuck in the bunk beds if someone else wanted to come and stay. But I am here to record our Tau retrospective. And to that end, I have reeled back in the lad, who, the mad lad actually, who did the first initial review with me, Mr. Kyle Grundy. Welcome back to the show, mate. Hi, dude, Adam. It's a pleasure being here, mate. It's, uh, it's going to be a good one. It is going to be a good one. So we're going to be doing our uh, retrospective for the Tower Codex. For those of you who do not know, this is a primarily a review-based podcast. Anytime there's something new for the game of 40K to review, I'm going to be reviewing it with somebody relevant to that faction, that content, that whatever. And then whatever else, we're going to be you know, discussing pertinent things in the game. This is a two-part podcast. The first part comes out Tuesday mornings as you're listening to it right now. Second part is behind the paywall. And the only place you can get that juicy part two is over on Art of War down under at Patreon. Check it out. Join in. So many amazing people have jumped in um, since the, I suppose, my content got taken off the Art of War page because they, they're moving in a different direction. But we're still part of the family and still co-branded. We're still here and happy to be part of the Art of War team. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for all the support. Kyle, anything you'd like to plug, my man? Yeah, so basically, I've um, over the last year, I've been um, kind of raising that kind of Vanguard Tactics banner uh, with Stephen and his team. It's been an amazing experience. And it's been really enjoyable seeing kind of like the teams come together and representing uh, the brand. And actually, for me, um, I've chosen to recently go in a different direction where I have an idea and it's come to fruition where um, I really want to kind of um, offer a Tau um, specific Discord that's helping all you great good lovers out there to enhance your game, enhance your experience and kind of enhance your confidence as a commander. So I'm running my own Tau Discord now and I've gone solo and I'm currently in the process of designing a brand absolutely everything's just gonna be exciting times i've already got nearly 300 members on my discord oh, and dude. it's only going to kind of expand so honestly like the, the the amount of engagement i've had and the amount of kind of love and respect for what i'm trying to do is amazing this is no obviously disrespect to steven and the team it was just one of those moments where a little bit like you were saying with the art of war going a different direction yeah. i think it's best to kind of really kind of like grab my own flag and run with it and i'm so dude. excited that is amazing. So perfect timing to have you on. As you said yourself when we were lining this up, you're like, oh, man, <laughs> cherry ripe. Couldn't come more at a perfect time. But anyway. Exactly, man. We're going to jump in, have a look back at the tower. And the first place we're going to start is our first impressions when we cracked open the book initially, which was you and I back then, all all of it what? It was, Probably yeah. about 13 months ago, 14 months ago. It was literally page. pretty much. It was pretty much just after the uh, yeah the new season, I think yeah, it was, wasn't yeah. it? When uh, I won the top tower ITC for not this season, the last season, and then we had a chat, and it was great kind of like reflecting on then. So yeah, mm. the, the the push forward with Tal. Uh, my first impressions were um, Montcar was the, the the obvious pick, wasn't yeah, it? It was. was hey, I get extra AP uh-huh. and I get to advance and uh-huh. shoot without penalty. Oh, and by the way, I've got a absolute ton of indirect line of fire. So mm-hmm. it was one of those kind of things where, for me, as a bespoke Tau player, I was a little bit turned off by it because it was just, if you hide, you die. If you're out in the open, you die. You die. So there was no skill to it. Mm. And so I think since that point when we originally chat, well, that point when the codex came out to now, it's a completely different meta game. Would you agree? I totally agree. And so it's it's an interesting look back on the 12 months of how 
Tau has been dealt with by the competitive community and by G Dub. So there, are, so you think about um, so Custodies was was uh, was I think it was a book or two previous to Tau, and the way they got treated mm-hmm. when they came out when overpowered, and the way Tau got treated when they came out were overpowered were completely different, weren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's, quite, think, um, it's quite fascinating how. Um, I don't because because custodians had so few um, army options that when you when you kind of pulled the rug up they couldn't really rebuild something anywhere near as strong. But Tau just kept having another playbook, another playbook. It's been really exciting how deep the codex has been. Well, that's the thing you've hit the nail on the head. It's deep how co- how uh, the codex was really deep. And I mean, initially, um, I think you know from the previous Tau editions, you had to really work for your points. It's a work yeah. for your wins, and that's pretty much kind of like the staple of I would like to say you know my success was that I was looking for opportunities that weren't necessarily the Tau way, yep. but ways to still stay in the game against a meta that was Tau was considered a trash tier. It was hostile, yeah. But then they went from trash tier to just auto-pick, just take this and you win. <laughs> and it was like, well, that's not really kind of rewarding those players that like a bit of a tactical play, yeah. um, you know, precision and stuff. But then, you know, the custodians got hit hard with their, you know, limitations on the re-rolls they could do and mm. limitations on strats. And then Tau got the nerf to the Monk car. Mm. So it kind of was a really weird experience because everybody went for Monk car, but nobody knew how powerful Kion was because no until needed, we got nerfed. Exactly. No until we got to nerfed out. to the Monk mm-hmm. car. And then everyone's like, oh my God, Kion's amazing. It's like, well, <laughs> actually, if you think about it, it was always there, but everyone just went for the obvious point-click exactly pick. Right. Exactly Where right. the strategical part of it came from the Kion play which now you're obviously seeing not long you know with the sun chart bombers and the yeah. and the explosive hits and the fact that you score most of your points in turn three four and five mm-hmm. it just seemed like a little bit of a gw going i'm going to slap you in the face and realize that you had these tools all along <laughs> yes and all it, did, all it did was wake everyone up <laughs> and pretty the fact much that, like sorry the the best unit upon release was the crisis suit and up until arcs of omen I would say they maintained their position as the best unit in there, and they still probably are, but that's going to be something we're going to debate and deep dive in part two, so come over and join us there. Where are they now, mate? So give us a little bit of a synopsis of where you think Tau is in Arcs of Omen and pushing forward where where they're going to come out, competitive-wise. So the the kind of one, I suppose, philosophy I had with all list building in general is that when you're going to a new meta, your skew lists are effectively in the bin. Um, you need to look at a balanced perspective. Yep. So about midway through Nephilim, I was like, okay, cool. Well, I don't know what the meta is going to be. There's these new Tyranids on the rise. There's X, Y, and Z come in. So go for a very balanced list. And I felt that was a bit of a maverick in terms of people were going for the obvious multiple crisis suits. Let's take 18 crisis suits. Let's take X, Y, and Z. But I always kind of had a staple and a kind of golden rule of just taking, right, two breaches, two devilfish, and then all the flavor around it. And I think that's pretty much prevalent now going to Arcs of Omen. You have to strip back, analyze the way that the detachment works in Arcs of Omen, and think, okay, mission play is going to be crucial now. Hmm. So you can't just turn up with, you know, two bombers, double riptide, nine crisis suits, whatever you want, with all the three commanders, because that's not going to work, especially with the way that the Marines have shaped up. Now, for everyone else, you know, you're dealing with an extra third, of, 33% of extra Marines with the points, dedu- points reduction, for Tau, it's actually only 16% yep. because your AP matters more. Hmm. So I think that those units, like we've mentioned, the Breachers, the Devilfish, the Strike Teams is going to be a very good comeback. Yeah. Because Strike Teams were irrelevant, right? AP one, mm-hmm. okay, Armour Contempt ignores it. But now, uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a tiny plug in terms of what I've been practicing with, two Strike Teams with a various amount of buffs on there 
actually can kill six Terminators in unit of ten with wow. the right strats and the right range mm. because of the exploding sixes with the Cadre Fireblade, extra AP, stratagems, and the fact that we actually have more CP to play with means that these units are actually pre- prevalent. And I think what I would say to Tau players is to actually take a step back and think about a balanced approach and thinking about how you're layering your attack, if you will. Yeah. And I think Tau are in a great position. Fan-freaking-tastic. Well, if that doesn't get you jazzed up, I don't know what will. So we're going to jump into our review. For those of you who may be joining us for the very first time, when we do a retrospective review, naturally it's somewhere between six months and 18 months after the release of a book, whenever we really get around to it. And we go back through the sections of the book and give them kind of a medical examination. How is this... How how healthy is this section of the book? How good has this book been performing for the player base? And then we kind of discuss what's good, what's bad, and move on. We're going to start off here, I believe, with the Sept's. Now, when, when this book first launched, we Borkan was arguably one of the best. In addition, um, of course, Farsight and then Tau Sept were the have, have been the dominant for the duration. Most, mostly Tau Sept with a good, strong proponent of Farsight as well. Is that how it's going to stay? And how do you, what's your perspective on the Sept's overall? So steps overall, I think the one thing I would agree on is that obviously the prevalent steps were, you know, uh, Tau Sept and uh, Farsight, simply because Tau Sept give you a different type of buff, mm-hmm. which is like the Chapter Master rerolls on Shadow Sun, or the option to do a reroll hit and wound and various specific stratagems like the plus one to wound. Farsight was very much leaning into the uh, Montcar way, if you will, yep. the aggression, the free Markalite um within nine inches um borkan was that kind of one that was <sighs> exciting to a point where you could switch off invuls but wasn't really prevalent in terms yeah. of it didn't overpower it, the other two it made it made a lot of sense when you needed when it was when it, when it was good it like it made so mm. much sense when so all i'm trying to say it's a meta pick it was a very strong meta pick for the time initially when especially when custodians were very prevalent you needed to have high ap and ignoring involvement was just really cool for killing bikes and mass custody bikes as soon as that went away the the need for borkan went away as well and that's exactly what happened um funnily enough it could be coming back around but we shall discuss that again later is is this a good section because legitimately we've seen two of these hit the table in any meaningful way yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the stat checks done by various, like, the stat check uh, guys, they were, like, at one point when I was analysing the meta, it was, like, a 58... Well, it was, like, a f- between Tau Sept and Farsight Anclaves, it was, like, a 54% people... I think at one point, 59% people were using Farsight and, a, and, like, a 49 Tau Sept, and then it kind of kept <laughs> swinging. Yeah. But the annoying thing was, from a creative point of view, was that the custom sets have kind of gone untouched. There was a mm. bit of a play with that obsec charging crisis suit. Which one guy? Oh, he was amazing. He was just charging crisis suits. I've played against that at team events. I've seen that at team events, especially, and I've only seen it at team events. But man, it Mm. it, was it a polarizing little juggernaut of a thing when it worked. Yeah, like like, and I love these Tau players that are out there that are looking at beyond the meta, if you will, because Mm. that's how we create um, innovative lists and people following kind of the flag, if you will. So. I think the custom sets now, not just to kind of go into too much detail because we save that to the next episode, but the um, the custom sets that can give you plus one strength on assault weapons. Yep. Oh, like we're talking we're talking strength six burst cannons or strength nine yeah. cyclic iron blasters, mm-hmm. plasmas, mm-hmm. and with armor contempt going. I'm sorry if you're receiving thirty burst cannon shots to the face at strength six, you you should be worried. Exactly. So right. what I'm t- I think I think just a, a testament to GW how deep this codex is. The custom steps now have opened up 
the gateway. The playbook. And yeah. especially with a year. And I think this is a real testament to how deep the codex can be. So my advice to other Tau players out there is don't just think Farsight, yep. you know, Tau set, Borkan. Start to take a step back and think creatively. What's the meta going to be? And we've got every tool that we could possibly have at Dude. our disposal. Mm, I totally agree. So in, to, in, in saying, I think the Sept is a pass without being a, a massive winner because like three out of the three out of the the whatever are playable have seen play, and one of them very marginally. But I think yeah, I, I am with you. They have one of the most exciting, coolest ways to build a build your own Sept with a little flowchart, and then it's just an, another untapped resource for people to explore and, and get excited about. You feel the same way? A spot on, mate. You couldn't have worded it better. Perfect. All right, into the stratagems. Give us your lowdown, mate. So, in terms of the stratagems that were used, um, and I think obviously with the way that the uh, uh, detachments worked, um, you often found that you'd have your two patrols and a supreme command yep. in Taucept. So, you were pretty much depleting your CP anyway, but in Taucept, you'd have an ethereal just to give you those uh, mm -hmm. the, 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 those few extra CP when you needed it to, okay? Um, so, then that could help you kind of play some stratagems. And the main, main ones that you would see is things like drop threat acquisition from Taucept, which yep. is a general, sorry, stratagem with four rerolls to hit when you drop down. Um, there was the plus one to wound for two CP on core units. Um, but then you kind of had this shift in the meta where it went, okay, everyone's been suddenly more aggressive. You had the T Suns Flamers, you had the Tyranids come out, mm. and various things where you saw lists having long strike and a couple of hammerheads. Um, and then that's partly where I had a bit of success in. I think it was the Newcastle GT when I came third. And out of five, six games, I played five Tyranids. Oof. <laughs> like it was literally, I earned the nickname the Nid Destroyer. And there was nice. many memes in the Vanguard tactics. It was like this is me with a shotgun shooting a Malaceptor in the head with a shotgun. And it was pretty much due to the fact that I'd anticipated the way that the Tyranids yep. um, would develop. So therefore, Long Striker Hammerhead. Riptide's crisis suits was just the icing on the cake. And then you had a shift, and hats off to the guy. I absolutely have mo loads of respect for Nassim. He's a new guy that came in, Iron Hands. We chatted, he played Tau, and he's done an amazing job, but he redefined um, a little bit about how a new person goes in to a new codex. And one of our fellow uh, Tau players, Will Whitaker, described him as um, he he's like, what was it? Um, tackling bacteria as if it's in a petri dish <laughs> so it's like how it evolves and just mm. you just literally went through the tau codex looked at faster enclaves and got aggressive yeah and i think that's a lot of the things that tau players struggle to do is when to be passive and when to be aggressive mm. so the faster enclaves just being hyper aggressive and go deal with this if you deal with that you can't deal with this yeah. So yeah. I think that's why a lot of the success has come from faster enclaves because people have kind of seen the seams list and then kind of copied it and then not necessarily got it as perfect as he did. And then even I took a little bit of inspiration and started to play more aggressively because that's, I think, something that I'd missed since our old codex. And I kind of naturally fell into a defensive play. Yeah. Whereas actually Tower really good at pushing that, okay, deal with this. If you don't, you're dead. Yeah. Well, so, but back to the stratagems, beautiful soliloquy there. Um, back to the stratagems, which are your go-tos? So my go-tos, um, what currently, from my experience at like in, um, in, your, in your year to playing with this in this year of playing this codex, what have been the <laughs> things you've used the most with your CP? Oh, the cheeky one! I got to admit, this was like the gold. This was absolute gold. It was the um, um, the uh, dropping off drones. 
um, for one CP. Now, this is hilarious because um, <laughs> bombers, so flyers can't take objectives, right? Correct. So when I'd have a situation where I'd put a bomber near an objective, uh, I'll give you one example. I was at the uh, um, LGT Invitational mm-hmm. um, and I was going against Gulio, a really good Drakari player. He'd It was on Data Sky Salvage and he'd obviously stick the objectives, right? Yeah. So I had a flyer with two wounds left. It was destined to die. And then I just spent a CP to drop off um, two drones in the command phase that then goes on to the objective. And because you score your your, your points yeah. in the command yeah. phase, yeah. I was like going, eat, thank you very much. Or <laughs> alternatively, you put a devilfish in an objective and people are like, well, I'm not going to kill that devilfish because 10 obsec bodies will come out. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put w- One, two, two terminators on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just, just standard like dudes. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to spend a CP drop off two drones and I've got three in the objective and you've I'm now claiming that objective. Yeah. And that is a huge swing for Tau play because you get the primary, which is usually where you struggle. <laughs> So that one is golden. That was absolutely golden. Um, Love it. Uh, the other one was drop zone clear for faster enclaves. Yep, it's yep. just so oppressive. Mm. You know, just here's the four rerolls to hit and wound for a three-man unit with 36 burst cannon shots, nine cyclic shots, and ignoring cover. Just yep. get wrecked up. It's kind of ridi- yeah. yeah, it's kind of ridiculous how good Tau is at shooting and then how much better they get when you have stratagems to use. But in, in addition to all the, the great damage-increasing stratagems, you have... Repulsor impact field for one CP minus two to be charged, which is so annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, strike and fade. <laughs> I don't know why. Like they were just like, you know what? Crisis suits the possible best you yeah. game need. Shoot and scoot. That's that's just fair, fair and <laughs> fair and well it, it, well balanced. It's more. It's hilarious how um, they kind of went. Oh, okay, look, guys. I tell you what. If it's um, if you got five crisis suits or less, it's one CP. Mm-hmm. But if you have six, it's two CP. Oh, what did no the other stratagems? You, what did no one want to do anyway? <laughs> exactly right. No. Exactly right. <laughs> and then the one was like, you know, if you take drop zone clear, for example, it's two CP if you have a unit of three crisis suits coming from deep strike, full rerolls to hit and wound. But if you have more than three, it's three CP. Dude. But for fire and fade, no, oh. it's okay, mate. You can have five crisis it's... suits. It's fine. But if you go, if you go for that sixth one, naughty, naughty, yeah. it costs you an extra one. <laughs> but bow. Uh, it's so crazy. Like, what does five crisis suits not kill? Realistically, there are so few things in the game <sighs> that five crisis suits don't kill. That's having a sixth. Who cares anyway? Anyway, but I think the stratagems are an absolute win. I think they're superstar strats. Some of the best. Yeah. One of the best stratagem suites in existence in a codex right now. Um, Absolutely. Moving on to the prototypes, mate. How do you feel about this? I know there's been. Been, ooh, not much back and forth on what's good, what's bad. It's been pretty zoned in on mm. on what's good. Tell us about it. So yeah, the, the zoning is it straight to your commanders, right? So right. let's you know you've obviously got well before we do commanders, let's talk about the obvious one. You put a Shaspray team leader on the crisis suits, which is obviously natural. You give him a iridium armor, so it becomes a two up save. You give him a shield generator for a pin bun, and you just pop stims on him. So stim injectors, ten points. Good there Lord. are four feel no pain for Good. the entire of that turn. The fact that, that has, the fact that that has never gone up in value, it's always just stayed <laughs> at ten points. I'm incredulous. I'm absolutely exactly, incredulous right? for a thing. I've I've personally had a stim injector win lose me games. I've lost a game because of a stim injector. Like yeah. mathematically, I should kill this unit or maul it down to one, maybe two crisis suits left from five. That's through all the drones. And then the steam injector happens and I kill maybe one. And then you're like, well, I guess I lose. It is such a yeah. swingy BS mechanic. And, and, the fact, and, and yeah. what makes it 
what makes it even more brutal is the fact that they're layered with the stratagem of the saving protocols. So yeah. often than not, I would go, okay, there's three shield drones, one marker drone. I'd let my three shield drones die. I'd have a two-up save, depending on AP or a four-up in bun, and then I'd go, okay, cool, I'm going to roll these singular at a time. I'm going to CP re-roll, which obviously gets me back in the game. Yep. And then, okay, is now down to, you know, you do it in terms of layering two damage shots. Okay, two final pains, I pass one, fail one, keep doing that. Oh, I'm down to two wounds now. Okay, what I'm going to do, I'm going to spend a CP to do saving protocols to kill my marker drone. Mm -hmm. And then you're starting that process all over again. Read, so the statistic, yeah. it's a statistical nightmare. It is. You'd have to pretty much pump in i'd arrogantly say about 1800 points yeah just to kind of kill that and then if you do great the entire tower army picks you up correct it is infuriating but outside the steam yep. injectors and outside i think the thermonutronic mm. projector which is the the super flamer or the um the, <laughs> super the, flamer of combat death <laughs> yes the super flamer that somehow is a combat flamer as well um outside those two have you seen much use of any of the others in this section yes so um i'll come back to the thermo um, flamer in a second, but the air versus the dominator frag yep, yep. is was one that was like I played with, and it's great against a town mirror because you just hit you don't have to hit something and it's minus four leadership. So even if you kill like two dudes, they're going to be suddenly yeah. at minus four leadership plus the casualties. Yep. That was a really good one. The Nova Surge plasma rifle played a part, especially with a, a warlord trait that you might take on a cold star of master of killing blows. So he just flat up ignores any kind of minus to damage, uh, wound caps and stuff like that. So you could have this dude going, right, yo, shoot my Nova Surge plasma rifle. Perfect. Brilliant. Right. Now you're dead. No yep. invuln, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So that was, a, that was a play. Um, apart from that, it was a bit sad that the rest of the ones kind of fell by, behind the waistline, if you will. Or below the waistline. Yeah. So for me, the the the, the prototype was the DWO2 burst cannon, which effectively moved you from six shots to eight shots. It became strength an extra AP, and obviously ignored any kind of wound caps and feel no pains. There was the stim injectors that we talked about, and then there was the uh, thermonutronic. Uh, sorry, not the thermonutronic. Remember the um, dominator frag, which is strength five rather than strength four, AP two, minus four to your leadership. So that was used in order just to kind of get a couple of extra casualties from your opponent in the morale phase. Um, I think that the thermonutronic flamer, the one thing that everyone was whining about when it first came out, is like, oh, it's a flamer that has to roll to hit. Mm -hmm. And we're all like, yeah, that sucks. But then when everything twigged, like we mentioned before about Karen, it was like, actually, yeah. I'd like it. It doesn't have to <laughs> auto-hit because any sixes, exactly I get right. explosions. <laughs> it's more, so it's, it's more, oomph, more, more possible popping off, more possible, well, sorry, a higher ceiling of damage. It's really quite something when people tweaked onto it and also it's absolutely infuriating when you get to a certain wall of trade that remains unnerfed and, and adam the other thing as well is like because it was damaged to strength four ap2 there a lot of uh tower players were like oh i used to ask them i was like okay so how many attacks do you get uh from shooting uh, when you are yep. oh, d6 plus two well how many do you get in combat d6 plus two no because it counts as a melee weapon. So you've got four attacks base, D6 yep. plus two. So on average, you're doing like eight to ten. <laughs> yep, attacks. And it's like, you know, you're like, okay, and they're all re-rolling Precision of the Hunter with the mm -hmm. Warlord trait, re-rolling all hits and wounds. Hello, son, let's go combat. Perfect segue. So, so in, in summing up the prototype systems, are they a win or are they a loss? Have they been a good section? Really a good section. Like, the the... the they gave Tau something that were missing in the combat phase. I was a bit bitter that they got rid of a few stratagems from the greater good, um, yep. whatever book it was, I can't remember, where you could not you could do mortal wounds on the charge. This kind of gave Tau that little bit of a combat edge. 
a little yeah, bit of an extra threat in a different phase. Totally agree. Because um, it, 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 exactly right. He's he's kind of the guy who saves you when you need a you've got a baton on three wounds left, and you're like, well, if he lives another game, another turn, I'm dead. So send in the <laughs> send in the precision of the hunter. And in saying the precision of the hunter, yep. what are the warlord traits? Precision of the hunter is busted, mm-hmm. and that it has the, the fact it that it has not been nerfed, not been changed is bullshit it should be real ones to hit and wound <laughs> it shouldn't be all re-rolls to hit and all re-rolls to wound because it is ridiculous but tell us about the rest of the section and your thoughts on that as well so there was three warlord trait i mean obviously okay so we'll talk about the precision hunter yeah it, it i agree it is very powerful but i think when you can consider from a non-tile perspective that we actually do only act in two phases you know the movement the shooting i do think it's prevalent to the balance of the tau codex do not make um, me reach for my small violin i'm reaching for it right now don't, i know don't, don't make i know me. i know <laughs> But the fact that you can just go, here, have a commander with four guns, it does stack up. This is a 200-point exactly. unit that can just kill everything. <laughs> exactly. But right. the other warlord traits that were really interesting were uh, the Borkan one, which is the Seeker of Perfection. Yes. So basically, what you do is you just go, how many burst cannons can I put on this guy? I'll give him a high-output burst, a standard, a cold star, two burst cannons, and the Nova Surge plasma rifle. And this guy's just flat-up doing mortal wounds. Yes. Oh, sorry, not the Nova Surge Plasma Rifle, the DW02 burst, burst cannon. So we could do three mortals and his damage and then ignore wound caps, etc., etc., etc. So that was one thing that was kind of tempting people into the ball can. And then the other two Warlord tra- traits, which were phenomenal, is the Exemplar of the Monk Car. Yep. Needs no introduction. You pick a core unit, they get reroll wounds. And guess what? When you have a unit of Christ, five man crisis suits, Dude. maybe 18 inches, so going, I'm now within nine slash 12 and I'm rerolling all wounds. The average loadout was f- a burst cannon, cyclic, and plasma. So you'd have five plasma shots, yep. 15 strength, eight, it'd be two damage, two, and then 30 burst cannon shots going, I'm rerolling all wounds, get mm. wrecked, son. It, and then but, you had. It was mental, right? So legitimately. Um, and then, then we've got Exemplar of the Kalyon, which is one of the best redeploy wall mm-hmm. traits in the game, should you take it while, you, while you're Kalyon, right? right? Uh, please break this down for people. Yeah, so Exemplar of the Kalyon was basically, if you um, you can do it after determining who's going first, Yep. so you would decide, okay, well, I get one redeploy um, if I choose Monkar. If I choose Kalyon, I get three redeploys. So what I preach is that always deploy defensively, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can redeploy aggressively. Correct. So many of my games, and obviously I'll come into it in terms of the LVO experience, was like, okay, look, I'm all hidden, I'm all fine, I can't receive any damage, and oh, I'm going first, fantastic. Boom, here's everything. Yeah, exactly. And right. I would keep my characters in such a position where they could stay still, and I could redeploy two Riptides in a crisis team and go mm-hmm. super aggro. Mm-hmm. So Kion, redeploys in general, forget Tau, redeploys in general are a phenomenal tactical boon in this game. If you can just react to what your opponent's done and trick them as well in terms of, you know, you could even deploy slightly aggressively, force them to deploy in such a way and then redeploy them away and leaving the person out of kind of position. It's so powerful. I, I'm just going to say, I think the six Warlord traits in this book represent the best Warlord traits in any book ever. <laughs> no. Oh, mm-hmm. in the current game, yeah. definitely, definitely in in ninth edition as it sits, they have a I am a I, I you have the I am a character and I am a super character. I am so freaking good. Rules <laughs> to hit, rules to wound. You have through unity devastation, which is just an aura of six to hit mm. are an extra rend, which is good enough to take in Black Templars. That's like the Black Templar one that you take from Black Templars. That's the only one worth taking, and it's Whoa. like well, you've you, you've kind of un, you, 
Oh, you've you've kind of like you've tickled you've you've tickled my fancy here because the aura of um, the three unity devastation is one that I'm currently rocking in Arcs of Omen Dude, because it it's destroys. Good. It's good, um, and you have to say it's it's a free unity devoed, mate. You gotta say it like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, devoed. You got to be devoed. Free unity devoed. Anyway, through boldness victory is pick a unit within nine, not within six, and they have sixes to hit auto wound. There's so many instances of re-rolls, rerolls to hit. You can just hit so well. And that's just not... Then you've got an example of the cow and example of the one card. There's only one in here that's not <laughs> worth taking. There's five here that would be a consideration for any army in the game. And I think they, this. I think the Wool of Traits are S-tier. Absolute S-tier. Absolute S-tier, and I agree. And the, the one problem that Tau players had is that they're all so bloody good, mm-hmm. you have to narrow it down. And then that <laughs> yeah. narrows your list building. So it's like... I would like all of them. And it's like, no, you can't have all of them. Don't be selfish. You have to pick and choose the way that your kind of list is designed around. Mm-hmm. But the the prevalent ones for the Nephilim were obviously Montcar, Kion, and Precision. But I think going into Arcs is going to be slightly different. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all. Now, moving down to the Crude Warlord traits, I have yet to see one of these taken. But then none of them are bad. They just don't, they don't, don't touch the sides. There's not enough yeah, Crude. Well, you don't take enough Crude for these to get good. No, I know. My friend gave me, bless him, bless his little uh, uh, heart, he had a lockdown project and he um, basically customized 250 crew all with lovely jungle bases, um, printed his crew talks and did all this kind of conversion with the crew sept. I can't even remember what it's called and that's embarrassing um, to me, so I should know the whole Daleth? time. I, got it it, I think it's Daleth. Daleth, yeah. Or is it and he had a beautiful list. Yeah, it's Daleth. It's like literally here's 250 crew, nine crew talks, all the crew hounds and crew shapers. And you can have this moment where you can actually have a strength five um, unit of crew and an ethereal going plus one to wound. And you can actually have a unit of 20 crew charging a knight wounding on fours. <laughs> <laughs> And it was Amazing. so fun, like, the idea of it was fun, but then when you get down to the brass tacks, it's like, nah. <laughs> so, like, the crew stuff, it's like, almost there, buddy, with a bit of a meme list. I think there was a couple of guys that took three storm surges and 200 crew. God bless their backs. But, you know what I mean? It's like the crew ones, unfortunately, it was cute, but not really kind of competitive. Mm, dude, amazing. Yeah, amazing. What a champion. What an absolute what? legend. Um, all right, moving down to the relics. Give us the story here, dude. Yeah, so relics, you had the prevalent ones, which was the um, the Onigagorna. So I'm going to punch you, I'm going to donkey punch you to the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like just high damage, strength 10, uh, AP 3 or 4, I think it was. And it was just like, I've got four attacks, boom. Um, the relics of the humble stave for the ethereal, knowing basically an extra litany, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and casting it on two pluses rather than three pluses. That was a, a prevalent pick. And then you had things like um, the... We had a bit of a play. I personally loved using the... Um, Oh god, was it called? Basically, it was the no deep strike within twelve. Yes. So you could basically just block off stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are the kind of the, the go-to relics, if you will. There's a few of them that sounded cute that were quite interesting, like one that you could put maybe on a Cadra Fireblade that you get out of a Delfish, and then if they're within twelve, you could either turn off their obsec or make them only shoot the closest one. But I think that kind of 
was counterintuitive because when you're getting out of the vehicles and stuff, you want to kill whatever you're shooting. Uh, but the main ones that we used was obviously um, it was the one that no deep strike within twelve. There was the Onaga Gauntlet um, in Tau set. They had the one where you get plus two movement and then can yep. make a normal move if you get charged. Yep. And then um, there was the Hollow Field one, which was a ba- basically a relic for a four up in Vaughn, and you negate the first damage that you get through. Those are the main ones that you you saw on the scene. Well, you said a lot of words there, so I'm assuming this is a good <laughs> it's a good section. But yeah, I, yeah. despite that, none of these are anywhere near as good as the Waller traits. Like none of these exactly. even come, even so, come close. And that's the thing, right? So, like when you when you deducted your patrols yep. and your warlord traits, you didn't really have a lot left for relics, to be honest. And that's the true. only one relic that was constantly taken when you go right two patrols. Okay, so I've got two, four down to two. I'll spend one for the bagel. I like to call it the big, or the bagel hunter. <laughs> Everyone calls it the bagel hunter. The bagel. <laughs> you go, you go. Hey, this enforcer guy that's on a two up save minus one damage. I'm just going to give him the bagel hunter. It means he gets plus one to his save and a five up feel no pain. This Amazing. guy becomes a monster. He was the hero going into the Harlequin matchup because he could just stand there and go, if I'm in cover, I'm a zero plus save. If I'm not, I'm on a one up save. I've got a five up feel no pain and I'm going to shoot you and I'm going to punch you with a f- special flamer. Yeah. He was the beast. Dude. He was the one that took you out of so many difficult matchups. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, that just having that security is such a, such a huge deal. Uh, all right, so moving on to the invocations, and we are stonking through this. Um, this is an interesting one. So, of course, there's the 2+, plus. I get a CP, which I think is mm-hmm. freaking incredible. What, what are some other good ones? So, um, yeah, the CP one. Uh, there was the, um, the feel of pain. So uh, when I played around with Tau Slap, just having an ethereal go, hey, this crisis unit has got a 5 up fill of pain. When we talked earlier about the Stim Injector guy, yeah. suddenly this unit becomes now unkillable. Well, You've got the whole unit on a 5 up fill of pain mm-hmm. and the guy who could pop it whenever he wants on a 4-up. Exactly. So you don't, I mean, even, don't, even need, you want? don't even need to use the Stim Injector until it's like desperate tires. Yeah, I'll let this, <laughs> yeah, I'll let this chump die. Um, and then next turn, when I'm out of drones and you think you've done the damage but you haven't, I will add a 4-up Stims <laughs> and still cast them. <laughs> five up on them it just becomes obnoxious so the layering of that unit was just ridiculous um the other one that you might have seen um played occasionally but in this nephilim and when we're talking about nephilim you occasionally had the zephyr's grace which is basically going minus one to hit yeah so unvar was occasionally taken at a brief point and because he could have three powers you'd go extra cp uh, he automatically casts on two plus anyway you'd have the feel of pain and you'd have the minus one to hit but you could only cast two out of those three yeah but this is because it was huge in the mirror matches right especially and, and then of course yeah, exactly it's actually not too bad now with guard being around you want to get a shooting war one of you has minus one to hit on demand could just be enough to tilt it yeah so i think that um obviously when you were running ethereal it'd be the the field of pain the cp yep. standard ethereal i think now you might see unvar coming back because he's only 100 points and an ethereal with the points increase comes the same anyway so then having that flexibility of having three powers but choosing when to use two of the best ones whenever it suits you is key well what about the best one here unifying mantra i mean you can reroll morale tests and Ooh. one to a combat attrition i mean have we just been missing the goal this whole time mate we finally found a stinker in this book by the way <laughs> well i think the morale thing is a bit of an interesting one right because no come on come on and try and make that stuff fly <laughs> No, it's dead. It's dead, mate. It's like whatever tower goes out there, if it dies, it dies, right? There's no point putting that one. If you get if you shoot a fire warrior, it's dead, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's but the true. one that's the one that's the one that's definitely interesting, which I will uh save 
now is that I've been playing around with the one where it lets you do an action and shoot because the ethereal yes. has a, an, a natural ability to action and shoot. So to paint a basic picture, you might need to want to put two banners down, right? Okay, Correct. cool. But you also want you to shoot. Okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to push two strike teams out, place two banners. I'm going to do my natural ability to make one shoot and do an action. I'm going to cast the power to make the other one uh, do the action. So I've suddenly got two units still shooting it and yeah. placing down two banners. Please get Rex on. Losing zero efficiencies. <laughs> also, we're about to go to the stratagem section but before we do that i think invocations are an absolute win i think just having the cp invocation is enough to possibly justify their inclusion because of how good the stratagem section is do you feel the same way absolutely mm. yeah absolutely absolutely swing and a miss but another reason to do actions uh, and want to kill still shoot is some of the secondaries um which still exist in arcs of omen so they pretty much have gone unchanged, haven't they? So, like, decisive action is just, you know, Moncar or Kion in turns one, two, or three for Moncar, turn three, four, or five. In Kion, you basically, if you hold uh, three uh, objectives, on what you get four points each turn. So that's a maxed out of 12 out of 15 um, in either philosophies that you're doing, because Moncar, you go aggressive, yep. you're hammering them in the deployment zone, you're getting your 12 points. In Kion, you're waiting patiently, then you hammer them in three, four, and five. Aerospace, same. Yep. Just do actions in the four quarters of each of the center points of the uh, the, the board in terms of on you know the, the long edge the short edge yeah it's a really interesting one because there's no other objective there's no other secondary that's really like that one so just to read this one out for people because it is hard to explain if you're not a tower player um, if you select the objective you place essentially pseudo objective markers half, halfway up each board edge and then you need to do an action on each one and you get a number of um, victory points corresponding to how many times you use on that action so of course one of those if not two of those are pretty much right next to your opponent's deployment zone, if not inside their deployment zone in some deployment maps. Um, and of course, if you do all four quarters, you get a 15. We're going uh, we're gonna to talk about the next one, but I want to unpack that one a little bit before we do, because that one has always felt to me like a win more. Like if you are crushing them, yeah. sick, you're going to get a good score. How do you feel about it in that sense? So with the aerospace, um, what was really interesting is that people were rushing to actually try and do all of them ASAP, mm -hmm. um, which meant obviously sometimes you'd overextend yourself or your opponent would use them to what I call leapfrog. So yep, if you're yep. going for those midfield ones, they would just get close to you. Um, the aerospace, in a simple philosophy, is, well, just do the two ones that are close to your deployment zone, kill everything, and then do the other two later on, later. because yep. you've got a cold star that can just teleport. Yeet. So, <laughs> <laughs> the aerospace one, and this is a, com well, it's a bit of a, um, uh, not a, well, yeah, it is a feel-bad moment because the way that it's worded is that you have to start within start the action when you're within six inches of it. Yep. You don't have to stay within six inches to complete it. So okay. you could pull yourself out of it and still score it as so, long as that unit stays alive. Yeah, because um, it doesn't say the unit has to be wholly, wholly within. You could be strung out to be you know, 12 inches back away from it, and then you just kill yourself out of the six yep. inches with, if they, you know, pins, like they try and tit for tat you and you still complete it. Um, not sure that'll fly everywhere, but that is, as reading it right now, that is a correct interpretation. Some people might, some TOs might have, have issue yep. with such an interpretation. Um, 
Well, what? the other thing as well is that, like, and I'm, I'm very much against, like, um, some of the interactions in 40k are obviously a little bit open for interpretation. Sometimes the yeah. rules aren't always <clears throat> correctly written, and it's a bit of a frustrating point because I always like to kind of talk to my opponent and be like, you know, what, uh, have that kind of conversation prior to the game. But there was lots of things where it could be abused, such as the drones in um, characters uh, are ignored for lookout serve purposes. So mm. you could have a commander within three inches of a crew unit but have his drone stringed out to the aerospace marker and be like well you can't shoot me you could charge me but i can make you manage too the only thing that kind of um got rid of that was like smites and stuff yep uh, but if you started it and then got smited and took away the drones you still complete it so from rose's written point of view yeah it's a bit of a oh feel bad <laughs> but the, i know we live in a world where, unfortunately, we can't make those decisions in a game and be like, well, I'm not going to do this because there's lots of other rules that um, work kind of similarly, um, and you just have to play it as it is. But yeah, Aerospace was... Um, I thought they would change it. I honestly thought they might make it a bit more harder to achieve than just keeping it as it is, if I'm completely honest. Yeah, I mean, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what is the last one? A clean victory. Unpack this one for us. Um, is this one any good? No, it's trash. <laughs> it's basically, it's trash because when you look at li- the, the, the clean victory is basically just like, oh, if you're in Monkcar, kill more stuff when you're in Monkcar. If you're in Kion, kill stuff when you're in turn three, four, five. And I think the problem with it is, is that why wouldn't you just take things like no prisoners or grind them down or assassinate? Yep. Yep. You know, so it's, it kind of feels like there's very little reward to taking it because most of the competitive games when you're going as top players are very cagey to begin with and you're kind of sussing each other out and waiting to see who's going to make the first move. So I think that if you took, for example, I don't know, let's say if I was going against Vic VJ and I took the clean victory and I was going Montcar, he would just stay hidden for three turns and deny me loads of secondary points and I'd yep. be screwed. Yeah. So I think it's, from a design point of view, it's flawed. Totally agree. Because there's other options. I think I think there's way better options elsewhere. And but overall, I th- I do th- think highly of the tower secondaries. Especially, I love that they have like one of the last bastions of str- of true stranglehold. Most people didn't get 15s on stranglehold yeah. in 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 games where they had a you know a like like skilled opponent. Usually, people only got 12 or nine. Mm-hmm. Decisive action has pretty much the same limitations on it. You can't get 15, but you can pretty easily get 12 for three turns. And um, I do like aerospace. I, I think aerospace works into a lot of how I think Tau want to play at the moment is that those first couple of turns of tempo and like get one or two done and then try and get the last two done. Because you can do more than you can do more than one a turn, right? It technically you can do all four in the same you turn. Could do, yeah. yeah. You could do all four in the same turn. I, I've, I've seen, and I think when I've seen people do that. I've seen people like table their opponent mm-hmm. and then turn five, get all five. <laughs> get all four, sorry. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. And I think in one of the streams that you were running at the LVO, like the, the, the aerospace is very simple of like, well, I don't really need to do it now. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it looked like with a Tau versus Tyranid, it was like it was down and out, yeah. like completely down and out. But then a lot of people look at the score and think, oh, well, there's no way the Tau can win. Then suddenly when it comes to turn four or five, the Tau have just suddenly got 35 extra points. Mm-hmm. It can swing massively. And I think from a, a disciplined commander, you think, oh, well, I'm behind by 40 points actually no i'm not because i've banked an easy 12 and a 15 yes. so that's 27 plus whatever yep. i want yeah plus maybe a tertiary for another sorry, three yeah so it's, it's basically be... you can just so do, yeah tertiary yeah you could just yeah. be like oh, 30 and points the tertiary 
Well, yeah, and, and, and a standard uh, philosophy that I always say is that, like, when you look at primaries, most people say, "Oh, well, Tau can't really do primary." Well, okay, let's take data sky salvage for example. You do uh, the action on your home objective, you get two points in no man's land. Okay, so that's two. So if you do that for five turns, that's ten points. You don't need to get forty-five. You can just get thirty-five, and then suddenly you're on forty-five. Do you know what I mean? So exactly it's like right. that kind of having that discipline to take a step back and go, "Okay, cool. So how am I going to get my points, and when I'm going to get them?" And tower like. Actually, to be fair, um, really lucky in the fact that they've got these easy secondaries to score because exactly. they work in contangent with how the army works. All right, so um, overall, I think the secondaries uh, are pretty good. They're not the best in the game, but they're far from the worst. Moving on to the Correct. data sheet abilities, and mostly we're going to be talking about the philosophies of war here. So Monkar mm-hmm. has fundamentally changed, but Kaion is untouched, yeah, from mm-hmm. the book. Tell yep. us what changed for Monkar. So basically, in short, they got rid of the uh, extra AP. Um, and I think that alone um, happened at a time when Armour Contempt came out. Mm-hmm. So whereas everyone else was like, oh, okay, Armour Contempt, they can ignore uh, a 1-8 of the AP. For Tau, it was like, well, actually, you've taken away an extra AP and you've given and, the armies that we're going to yeah. face. So it was like really rough. Um, but that's why you saw the they're going to lean into like kind of higher AP, your hammerheads, your uh, rail rifles, your rail guns, and various other things. And then the Iron Tide came in. So the in terms of the nerfs to the monk car, that was massive because it kind of took your Alpha Strike away. Yeah. And then with a combined nerf of the indirect fire, and then giving also units that are hidden an extra armor save <laughs> and minus one ballistic skill kind of felt like they just shoved Monkar in the bin. Mm. Um, and that's what forced people to take Kion because there was no way that Monkar could work anymore. Correct. At that state. Of it game. offered nothing compared to Kion. It offered nothing. The yeah. only thing you got left was the reroll ones to wound when you're within 18 on turn one, 12, and then turn two, and then nine inches in turn three. So that kind of made it go, or I could just wait until turn three and get exploding sixes, <laughs> exactly. fall back and shoot, and then exploding exactly. fives and fours. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. a no-brainer. The, so, the sheer amount hmm. of shot that I have seen one unit of Crisis who's put out on turn five in Kaion would be enough to, to like near table some armies in turn one, you know? They just rock up and one Crisis suit kills a squad each. <laughs> it's just kind of ridiculously insane. Um, so, but in saying that, is there any debate anymore into Arcs of Omen or is it just Kaion 99.9% of the time? Um, I think anybody that's going straight into Kaion um, after this Arcs of Omen um, is doing it from a behavior um, yep. point of view in terms of they've been doing it for so long. I personally love looking at a codex and going, okay, the rules, the rules of engagement have changed. So let's have a look at the possibilities. Now, I took Montcar. Um, against like, uh, against a Grey Knight uh, player, a really good player called Andrew Bourbon, and I decided, you know what? The idea of this game is to test out stuff. So it wasn't fully competitive. We were just wanting to test out various scenarios and how things would work. I chose Monkar, and I went for... I called my list Kyle Chose Violence, um, <laughs> and it was literally, you know, I'm going to drop zone clear and deep strike a unit of Crisis suits turn one, turn two, turn three, and I've got 40 breaches and four devilfish. So every turn, I'm going to be dictating the pace of the game. And I kid you not, it was amazing. It made Montcar feel to me like it used to feel before we got our new codex. So I think that the 
definitely play for Montcar in certain matchups that you know you don't have the bombers anymore in terms of the way that you used to. You need to find ways of putting the pressure on turn one because if you let certain armies get the uh, take the pace of the game, it can force you into scenarios where you might misplace something, misdeploy, or not correctly shoot at key units. With Montcar, it allows you to turn onto your opponent and go, okay, cool, you're dealing with breaches, no problem, you don't with breaches. Right, well, are you dealing with a turn one, turn two, turn three, crisis suits dropping in? Okay, cool. So you're offering your opponent MSU vicious mm-hmm. firepower that they can just can't contend with, and I think that's the way that Montcar is going to come back versus certain matchups yeah not yeah. like iron hands because iron hands just get points for being in the deployment zone right but other matchups if you can control the pace and not have to worry about these kind of finicky kind of plays and tactics then montcar is definitely going to be if you know when to push it push the defcon 4 button and go for it dude absolutely agree i think it's a really cool thing to unpack now especially i actually just genuinely love your perspective that hey things have changed let's revisit everything Last thing, absolutely. Last thing we're going to discuss is the data sheets and how they are holding up. So, um, naturally, the the same data sheets have been seen out of this book. It was initially just oops, all crisis, some crude screens, breaches, or um, strike teams, along with your, your you know mandatory commanders. Are we going to see any diversity into things, or are there any other viable you know, like units on the periphery that we'll see become mainstays? We've seen metas that have had been repti- very riptide friendly and then very hammerhead friendly at times but what's going to be breaking in and becoming a mainstay do you think moving forward moving forward i'd say like we're in a very advantageous position because let's be fair apart from space wolves we can do a cadre fireblade for 50 points yeah. three units of crew hounds at 24 points each um so for what 20 40 60 uh 12 72 for 132 points you've got your arcs of omen detachment yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so i think that kind of gives you full flexibility to do whatever the hell you want what i think that um is what i can see that is happening especially in my tau discord is that people are still bringing lists with the riptides they're mm-hmm. kind of forced into triple riptides and to, not yeah. that i'm saying that triple riptide isn't a bad thing but what you will find is that they're doing the triple riptide to combat things like the iron hand threat that's coming okay but actually um you need stuff to deal with hordes and your yes. extra ap or your ap on strike teams is huge i'm honestly playing with a unit of pathfinders that can be just obnoxious because they can do various things for me they can do actions immediately with aerospace they can do mark lights on two pluses then they can move seven inches in the um after when they've done the action getting that delfish so there's lots of options where the data sheets like strike teams, if I was to summarize in three data sheets that could be coming back in, you've yep. got strike teams are definitely in, absolutely in, because with the aura of um, three unit devastation on a 60 degree, hey, you can do an hey, extra AP. Hey, hey, what was it yeah. called? Yeah. What, what was it uh, called? Three unit, three unit devastation. Come on, come on, Kyle. Through Unity Devo. Through, <laughs> through, oh, sorry, oh, you caught me out there. Three unit devoed. Right. Um, <laughs> Three unit devoed, guys. Three unit uh, devoed, right? You've got an extra AP on the sixes to wound. You've got a stratagem to make a strike team fire at full range at 36 with an extra AP and rapid fire at 36 inches. Then, if you happen to have a poor soul within 18 inches of you mm-hmm. and you want to do two strike teams at them, one unit will be a minimum AP two yep. with sixes to wound do AP three, and the other unit 
will be AP3 with sixes to win AP4. I mean, for an 80-point unit of strike teams, plus maybe an average character, and if you throw in a Kadra Fireblade there with exploding sixes, oh, come yeah. on. That's yeah. a lot of shots, That's man. a lot. So it, that is a lot of shots from very minimal cost. So I think that's the way that it's going to go for me personally. And that's what I'm practicing with is strike teams, breach teams, and still having your staple like two Riptides, a couple of commanders, and um, you know a couple of Riptides. So I think the balance is key here. And I think you're going to see a lot of those. I'm tempted by Vespid again, I'll be honest, because yeah. their AP3 is pretty tasty. Bring out the, bring them out. Bring out the Blowflies. I, I'm down. Blowflies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot to like still. Um, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a very night health, night happy meta. Like, knights are going to struggle a bit. I mean, I actually think Renegade Knights might be a little bit better than... Um, Imperial Knights at the moment, just because of the, the pivots in the meta, and they've got the the great AP six, sorry, strength six ad nauseum guns. Um, but where do the ham? How do you feel the hammerheads at the moment? Like, is long strike still like a, a really good take, or long strike and a buddy, or none at all? So the issue is with the arcs of omen being four characters. Um, I've I've thought about bringing long long dong and his friends, you ah. know. Um, and I think one thing that's definitely key for the uh, the hammerheads is the accelerated burst cannons. Yep. Um, because that's like sixteen shots at AP one strength six. That's great. That's yeah. great, man. Absolutely great. And it could even potentially. It's sad that the sky rays potentially have been like, oh great, all right, uh, oh wait, no flyers are coming up until turn two. But then again, I could be wrong. You know, if, if people do take flyers, then your Skyrays are at least going to have an opportunity to shoot the flyers that come in. So I think the accelerated burst cannon is definitely a key thing. And obviously dotting in a couple of seeker missiles here and there is with AP3, damage 2d3, strength 9 is absolutely a thing that you should fear. Um, but in terms of the hammerheads genuinely, um, the problem that I've had is that when I look at my core arcs of omen design, you've got a commander, potentially you want to pay the heroic support strategy for another commander, yep. and you've got an ethereal of some variant, and then a cadre fireblade to make your troops work. So you're not really left with many other commander options mm. or HQ options, should I say. So you'd have to heavily see what the meta is. So with Hammerheads, the reason why they were such a success when um, Nids came out was because of the nids right you just wanted to go yep. Boof, yeah. right railgun done unless the meta dictates that that's what's needed i don't really see at the moment how hammerheads are going to come in unless something shifts and that's just my initial impression so i could be wrong totally right now it's more marines are going to be in mass bodies so therefore your hammerheads is less relevant but if we were talking like mass tanks maybe the guard meta maybe that's going to shift then maybe the hammerheads could have a play but it's very much hammerheads have always been and always will be a meta pick yeah i i totally agree okay and on that note we will do our final wrap-up for this bad boy um tau into arcs of omen what tier in the competitive rankings do you think they will reside in um, I'd love, obviously, to say S tier because I'm amazing. Um, but what I would say, what I would say, is that um, solid A. I ex- exactly um, agree. I exactly agree. Solid A, probably like the top. I'd say the top three in an A tier. On simply because the armor contempt going away. On uh, great terrain, 
you can still build a strong list. Like, so on really heavy terrain, you can still build a strong list that can contend. And on light terrain, they are revoltingly dominant. So I think they're really well positioned yeah. regardless of what format they may be. The fact the fact that um, they were one of the strongest factions at WTC this year, or at least that's a perception. I don't know the, the figures, but that was a perception that they were still one of the most dominant things with so many different really well-put-together tables. It leads me to believe that they're just fine. As, as long as you build for the tables, they've got a, a great amount of play. And on that note, we will wrap this up. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find the greatness you are building once again? So yeah, I'll um, I'll share the link for my Discord. Um, but obviously, it's going to be um, a pure tide program is what I've called it for the specific tile thing. I'm working on an overall brand to kind of like family that because I don't want it to just be limited to tile specific. Um, but obviously, my Discord is the key thing to obviously get involved. And if you're an inspiring, you know, an inspiring tile player that wants to kind of like up their game and and learn a couple of the tricks of the trade like we've spoken to tonight, then that's the place to be. I've already had an overwhelming uh, positive response in terms of what I'm doing and what I'm trying to advocate. Um, and then obviously there's going to be more to come. I'm currently um, in the in the design phase of jerseys, objective markers, dice, you know, the whole shebang. So I'm going full on at this. So any support that I can get from the community is amazing. Hence why when you reached out to me, I was like, Adam, this is amazing. It's going to, uh-huh. you know, it, it's going to be absolutely an honor to be on the show again. Guys. So yeah, there's lots of stuff coming and you're going to see many Tau uh, commanders on the field given uh, in the future. So yeah, that, that that's what I'll share the Discord link with you and I'm sure you can post it on on this uh, uh, chat afterwards so people yeah. can click on it and join. Absolutely will. Yeah. All right, and on that note, we will wrap this up. Thank you again so much for coming on, mate. Uh, stay tuned, enjoy some town goodness and come back and check in with us in, in number two, part two over on Patreon, Art of War Down Under. We're going to be answering some list of questions, unpacking some new play styles and new looks at this venerable, venerable book. See you then. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under, signing out from tomorrow. Tomorrow.